heroes. Highlights and hardships with Triple M's Rush Hour. Welcome back to the Rush Hour. It's a three H's podcast, and this is when we've got a lot of famous people coming into the studio, and we get a chance to have a slightly longer chat than the one we do on the show, and James Rain, an absolute icon of Australian music, is with us. How are you, mate? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks. Thank you for that. It's a pleasure. You're about to go on your 40th anniversary tour. Yep. It's going to be fantastic. Hero first up. Have you got one? Something that stands out? Someone that you looked up to when you were younger, personally or professionally, that you can talk to us about? Well, I used to, I mean, look, I'm sitting here with, you know, sporting royalty. What am I going to say? If I thought of sporting, I used to go, I'm the other age. I, I'm AFL because I grew up mm. in Victoria. Mm. And, you know, it was, well, I was VFL then, mm. like the 70s. And I used to love, again, there's a sporting hero. Alex Jeselenko, I saw the, the game where he took the famous, this this will probably mean nothing to New South Wales. Yeah, no, anyway. no. Jeselenko, you I was at that game. I used to love Robbie McGee, who played centre half forward, centre half back for Richmond. Robbie McGee was the first guy that had. Mullet like rat tails. And Robbie, every like quarter time, half time, he'd go to the Spencer's and have a smoke. <laughs> and he was a great player. Yeah. And he had, was, had tats when no one had tats. I mean, he had so tats. He, was a bit, he was a bit pioneer of all this stuff. He was, yeah. And he was a great player. He was, you know, he was a tough player, but he was a great player. Guys like that, I was always, they were heroes of mine. Did what you get to, did you, sorry, did you get to meet him? No, because I was just a kid. I know, yeah. but then you became a superstar, and did he sort of come to a concert one day, or did you no, ring him f- up and tell him? No, no, I wouldn't do that. I'm too, I'm too shy with people. I still do that if I see meet someone who's on television. And go, oh, well, that's the person on TV. <laughs> <laughs> you wow, for, you're forgetting that you're who you are. Going, oh, I've done the show about eight times. Yeah, yeah, and he'd certainly be looking up to you. It's funny how mm, people weird. sometimes do that. I see him in the street and I go, well, that's that girl from, you know, whatever. Yeah. Home and Away or whatever. Yeah, Home and Away. Yeah. She's on TV. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> James, is it true you've got a prized possession of a, a photo of yourself and, and John Lee Hooker, the blues legend? Yeah, I have a photo of me and John Lee Hooker because there was a period uh, in the no- uh, 90s, early 90s, where there was a record company in New York called From a Whisper to a Scream and it was an offshoot of EMI, American EMI. And I think we were the two people they didn't really know what to do with. But the only two signings they had were me and John Lee Hooker. Wow. And I've got a photo, but they had a, a, a signing party for me and John, John Lee. And um, I went there and there were the executives there and a few people. And John Lee was just, I said, oh, I'd love to meet him. He said, we'll go over there. He was sitting in the corner. He said, and he was with all these sort of white women were standing around him. And he was just like, he says, John, you know. He goes, he had no time for me. But yeah, you know, I got a photograph taken. That was the end of it. <laughs> See you, mate. <laughs> do, you have, do you have a room with like all those sort of photos and albums? I have and things a few like photos. That? I don't have a room. I've got that photo up. Um, uh, I've got a photo. I got a photo that I was sent. Um, I made an Elvis record once. Oh, I love Elvis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't he great? Yeah, and yeah. I didn't know a lot about him until mm. I did this. And Michael Gadinsky, it was his idea. Yes. And he said, what you should do at this point, some point in my career, when everyone's going, what are you going to do with this guy? So Michael had this idea, do, <laughs> why don't you do some Elvis covers? And Charles Fisher, who's a really well-known Australian producer, he did Savage Garden. He went over to America, did a whole lot of stuff over there, over there came back to Australia, trying to find a job for Charles, like something interesting for Charles to do. And they said, let's put, Michael thought, put James and Charles together and said to Charles, come up with an idea something to do with James. And Charles, the day before meeting me, was sitting in a cafe. They were playing Elvis. He went, James does Elvis. Wow. What a really weird idea, or possibly stupid idea, and maybe it worked. And we made this record, used some great musicians, and I thought it was it's a really good record. And we used t- took a lot of the songs, not some of the classics, but a lot of the songs from the movies. We did, uh, oh, God, I'm trying to think now. But we did a lot, and just yeah. great performances. Anyway, I didn't know that anyone heard it. But I've, in the mail one day, I get this package 
And it's a photograph of Joe Esposito, who was one of Elvis's guys, the Memphis Mafia, the yeah. TCB oh, gang. Yeah, yeah. He was like the number one guy who was close. It was him and Elvis that he sent to me. And he'd heard the record and he was, did a, wrote a very nice thing complimenting me on the record. Oh, and I thought that was – I like that. That's that a nice good. moment. Yeah. That's the closest you could get to Elvis <laughs> than That's meeting Elvis himself. 100%. Yeah. Thank where, you. Where did your love of music and that, that entertaining, where did that come from? Because, you know, when, when you're a young fellow, usually you're like playing sport. But in Australia, you know, it's just one of those things that music is quite iconic too with, uh, you know, young people. Yeah, I, I think it was just the radio, hearing it on the radio. You know, just hearing the, the songs that were big at that time probably would have been some AM station my mum was playing and I just I got just hooked on it when I was really young, probably six, seven, eight around then. Just I just loved it. I just liked it. I was drawn to it. And then I think I started hearing, you know, pop, rock music and um, then bands like probably Cream or, you know, like late 60s. Yeah. I started to get really, to, and get really sort of, became, I became a real fan and I started collecting records and then, you know, in the early 70s was when I was sort of becoming a teenager and, you know, so I just, I was mad keen on collecting records. I just got obsessed with it. It's funny you say that because um, my mum used to play a lot of music and that's where I get my love of music. Charlie Pride, like, you know, you know, the, you know, you know, you kiss an angel, good morning and all that. And I, I started loving music because of my mum, you know, it's one of yep. those things, as you said. Yeah. Well, like my mum, she'd play... She'd mainly play the ABC, but there were a lot of stuff that she would just play and just yeah. hear it. You know? Yeah, James, what about a highlight across a, such an illustrious career as yourself? I think I have to say the fact I'm still here doing it. You know, just and it's, I mean, it's not. It's I'm not saying it's a tr- struggle, but it's it's you got to work hard. It's yeah. hard work to maintain to maintain a career in the Australian music industry in mm-hmm. Australia is hard. You know, and there are all sorts of challenges that are thrown up. You know, the, the, the paradigm is this. Mm. And then the paradigm, like the, the paradigm in terms of making music, promoting music, getting music out there, getting it exposed, which involves radio, which involves all, all sorts of things. Then all these paradigms change, you know, and all the personalities change and the whole, the manifestos change and the thinking changes, and which it has to because the world changes. Mm. So that'll change. So it, it suddenly a whole set of, oh, that's not how it works anymore. You've got to go this way. Yeah. So, and then, you know, just dealing with the live... I mean, it used to be you would make royalties from record sales or radio play. You don't make royalties anymore. I mean, that's got that your income that income stream. If you don't talk pure, just earning a living making music, that just it does not exist. I mean, streamings. You've heard all the stories about you know mm. someone get I was I don't know was it Peter Frampton had two hundred million streams of some song and he got a check for ten grand. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, ten grand's not insignificant, but that's it. Yeah, yeah. Right. We all know ten grand doesn't go very far. Mm. Well, someone else told me they they got twelve million streams and they got seven hundred fifty bucks. Oh. So there are no physical record sales. So you don't get songwriting royalties anymore because there's not the same. You do get some. So that whole stream's gone. So you have to make your living from playing live. So that's why we, you know, often out in the road. Yeah. And you get out there and you just go, oh yeah, we better reinvent the wheels. <laughs> Let's call it. 40 years since the best of. <laughs> but, but you're, well, at least you're it, feeling it is that, what it is on the can. Well, it actually is 40 years since the best of, so we're mm. not lying. Yeah, yeah. But you're feeling that you're producing <laughs> some of the best stuff now in terms of touring. Easily. As, as writing the best songs I've ever written. Amazing. In the last 10 years, easily written the best songs I've ever written because I've been doing it for a long time. Like you do anything, you just get better at it the longer you do it. 
Especially when you've got passion and you can see yeah. the passion that you still oh, have course. for it and the fact that you're out there doing well, it. I'm sure you guys wouldn't want to hear the f- back the first, I'm not saying probably brilliant, the no. first radio bro- broadcast Awful. you ever did. Awful. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the executives went, how long did we sign those three clowns for? <laughs> oh, and all of a sudden, mm. four years on together and things start to click. And, and, and of course, you fi- the, it well, finds its For us, it's a chemistry it? thing. I think, Correct. you know, all the stuff that we talk about in our stories and so forth, because we've, we've got... A connection between the three of us, then we're authentic and real. That's and I right. think that's what people are after now. Whereas maybe 10 years ago, it was more about the rock and roll and the giving stuff away and cash oh, prizes yeah. and stuff. If, like you say, the um, radio has changed. changed. That's and, right. And yeah. spending this much time together on air and I'm sure off air, you water finds its level. You know, mm-hmm. the, your relationships, your dynamic becomes what it is. And you can't make that happen. You no, just can't. Exactly right. So, such a long um, journey, as Jude said. That was a so, long-winded answer. I'm no, sorry. no, it's it was not, great. It's love not it. at it's all. It's, it's it's really fascinating for us, and I think that's actually part of your charm is you don't think how fast you don't realise how fascinating you are, or how much people care about you and and what you've given us over the years. So, oh, that's very cool. it's a real joy for you to be here. What about a hardship, as Jude said? Long journey, bound to have some ups and downs. Is there one down that you can tell us, and perhaps what you learnt from that? Well, I think it's wrapped up in what I was just saying to just, you know, having to confront quite often, just professionally confront certain things where certain doors are open and slammed closed now. Mm. We're just not interested. Bugger you, you know, that's it. I mean, I think, and it was only many years after it happened that it really, and I still think about them, but I mean, I lost my two best friends in the band, a guy first, Guy McDonough Mm. in 83, and then Brad Robinson in 96, and they were my two best friends. And... uh, you know, at the time, it's like, yeah, yeah, get on with it, and you've got to go through. It. And we all, we've all lost people close to us. And you know, you, there are certain things one has to just do, just practical things you have to do at the time to get move stuff forward. organized. Mm. You know, and just get things done, and then you move. And then it's sort of later. I might mean, now have moments where you just go, oh boy, I wish guy was here to see that, or Brad was here to see that. And often it's family stuff, or it might be um, sometimes it's gig stuff. Like Brad would go, are you kidding? He's still, they're still coming to see him? If only they knew. Oh, my God. <laughs> but music does take you back to those times. Is, is there certain songs that you look back at those two and just, just see their face and know exactly where well, you, sometimes, know, you stood I mean, with them when you wrote? Or Yeah, well, I think there's a song that I that Guy wrote called Oh, No, Not You Again, right, oh, that we do yeah. we do every night. Oh, yeah, one we, of my we might know songs. that one. <laughs> <laughs> we might know that one. Yeah, okay, well, that one. And I know what it's about, and I remember when – he wrote it, and I remember where we were sitting when he first played it to me. So I've written this song. It was like that day. So I've written this song. I'll play it to you. And he's a huge. We were both huge Neil Young fans. So it's it's us trying to you know. Well, him he wrote it, but you know trying to be Neil Young, you know. But I know who it's about. I know what it's about. And sometimes when I'm singing that song, I'll think of him. Yeah. But I didn't for years. It's only as you get older and you get a little bit more wiser and more sentimental, possibly. Mm-hmm. You know. And I think the thing is, you get older, you know, I think as you get older, you probably cry more. Yeah, definitely. You just well, go, I find myself watching some <laughs> movie <laughs> and I'm going, oh my God, that's so sad. <laughs> we cry in Telstra ads. And what about, and you can, I can tell you, it's coming any second now, the bloke in London. <laughs> telling his mum he's not coming home for Christmas yeah. and then in the next 40 seconds we see him sneak into Heathrow, getting on the A380 and arriving without his mum knowing, oh, by the end of that I am. Floods. F- floods of tears. Yeah. And, and that comes with maturity too, showing your human side Correct. is okay. I have a theory. I've got many theories, but I don't think if you haven't spent some time 
sitting on the edge of your bed in your underpants, having a damn good weep. Yeah. You ain't. It's a podcast. It's a podcast. You haven't, you haven't, you know, you've got a few steps to go yet. Well, that's, I look at like Robbie Williams now. He's in town, obviously, and you've performed. Can I, is there someone where you've performed or the people that you've met, you've gone, you know, like I've made it, you know, like I've, I've really, a boy that's gone from, you know, Melbourne, Victoria or whatever and, and done this. Have you thought, mate, I can't believe where my life's gone? Some, sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I do. Sometimes there'll be a moment where I go, and I'm a fairly cynical person, but there are, there generally are times when, I think you were saying before, when you're, you're starting to sing a song and suddenly however many thousand people start singing that song and you, you stop singing. Yeah. And they, they don't want you to sing, you know, and they, there are moments like that, even cynical me, you know, black-hearted me will go, oh, my God, wow, this is pretty amazing. I mean, this is, this is, this is pretty, not a lot of people get to go through that. Not a lot of people get to stand there and have that happen. We're at the SCG always, and Errol Goulden gets the ball, and they start yeah. like saying, "Oh, Errol, oh, I've heard this. <laughs> yeah. I've heard this. Yeah." And we sing. We put his part of his opening when he comes on. Yeah. You know, he's a young yeah. gun, Swanee. He's a legend, and you know the crowd just straight go to it. And then the kids go and Spotify it, of course, and then yeah. they know what it's all about, and then they put it on their playlist. And that's great. And you got a whole generation again. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. I, I'm not complaining about that at all. Good on him. Yeah. Good on whoever started doing yeah. that. Well, that's good, great. good yeah. on you as well, and thank you so much for joining no, us on the Three H's. And best yeah. of luck with the, the tour. You'll be exactly where you want to be, and a lot of people, A, are looking forward to it now, and they're going to have a fantastic night, and that's because of you. So thank you. Thank you all very much. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you. The Rush Hour with Gus, Jude and Wendell.